Please take your Bible this morning and turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. A special message, especially for this time of year when we think about our Independence Day coming up and we think about what it means to be a citizen in our country or, for that matter, for any citizen in any country. In just a few moments, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. But before we do that, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, be glorified, we pray. We ask for the Holy Spirit today. Lord, would you by your Spirit accomplish what no human messenger can do? We humbly ask, Lord, that you would set aside all arrogance, all pride, anything that we have in ourselves, even about our pride in our country to help us understand how we as Christians should respond and how we should behave ourselves in a corrupt and twisted world. Be glorified, we pray. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, it is very common in the news these days for Christians to be despised and ridiculed. As you can see in your manuscript this morning, in a recent opinion piece, Sean Carney wrote, anti-Christian sentiment has existed for some time, but has been amplified in recent years by a culture that seeks to undermine traditional values and beliefs. The crusade against Christianity is fueled by a radical left that refuses to engage in respectful discourse opting instead for hateful rhetoric and dehumanizing tactics. Now, this author wrote this in connection with what happened at the shooting at a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Many of you remember that three nine-year-olds were killed and three adults were killed in that shooting. And it was really frightening to see some of the comments that those on the left made about this. They said things like, well, perhaps those Christians weren't praying hard enough, and they were mocking Christianity. Now, I want to be careful this morning in this message to be sure that none of us adopts a martyr's complex, if you will. Far from it, what you see in the book of Acts is when they were despised and ridiculed and even threatened, what they prayed for was boldness. It's the right thing for you and me to pray for today. Nevertheless, to acknowledge here is what's happening in our society right now is very important. As you remember, a group identifying themselves as Antifa, that stands for anti-fascist. They use a number of fascist techniques, but they call themselves anti-fascist. They attacked a Christian group. It was a group that was gathered for prayer in a park in Portland, Oregon. This was back on Saturday, August 7, 2021. Antifa members threw a large explosive firework into a crowd of children. They slung rotten eggs and urine and feces on the adults, and they pepper sprayed the pastors who stepped over to ask them to please stop. Now, it is not news to any of us here in this room that these kinds of things are happening and that Christians are being held up to public ridicule. In fact, 
If you go back and think through what the Lord said in John chapter 15, and this is part of the recent Bible reading schedule, here's what Jesus actually said. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's the way Jesus Christ himself framed the issue. So this hatred that we're talking about this morning, it's not uncommon in world history. In fact, it is very common. But it does raise the question for us this morning, and here's the question. Does our country need Christians? Does it need Christians? Does it need true Christians? Are they beneficial in our country or any country? That's the question we would like to address this morning from Acts chapter 17. In the lead up to this, think about what happened there as Jesus was explaining in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he began with the Beatitudes, which are referred to as the blessings. And as he worked through that beatitude path, he gave us a progression in the beatitudes. Here was the end result. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What that implies is to say the salt of the earth implies that the world is rotten. It is spoiled and it is getting worse. Isn't that exactly what you see going on? And to say that it's the light of the world implies that the world is in darkness, that it desperately needs the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's in this connection then this morning that we turn over to Acts chapter 17. And as we read this, I would like for you to carefully consider this question. Why do nations even exist? Why do we even have such things as nations? Why is it that they exist in history? Why do they have the geographical boundaries that they have? Is it all pure chance? Is it just something that happened? Or is there actually a purpose behind it? Look for that purpose as we read together Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's, men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. 
because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given us assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. This passage is a remarkable panorama, if you will. It's amazing in its scope that it tells us exactly why nations exist, why they have the geographical boundaries that they have, what is God's purpose in bringing nations about, and then did you notice that very interesting connection to the gospel? He brought it around to the Lord of all, to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is going to return to this earth and he is going to judge the world. And so in this passage, Paul says, and what he is commanding every man to do is repent and turn to the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I gave you a brief theology of this passage there in your manuscript. If you just kind of like to look down through that, just think about the way that this is exalting the Lord. God is the creator of all things. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is is spirit. He's not dwelling in man-made temples, nor is he truly worshiped by man-made means like making idols or any kind of graven image. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. And he alone gives life and breath to all living things. Here's one that you can use the next time somebody is trying to push a racist view on you. Look what he says here. God has made all nations of one blood. Isn't that interesting? All the nations are of one blood in our vacation Bible time, I think it was two or three years ago, we came back and really talked about these verses and said, here's why racism is wrong, because God made all the nations of one blood. Providentially, he has designed geographical boundaries and destinies of all the nations. When you watch what is happening on the geopolitical scale, and by the way, if you haven't been watching the news, what is going on in France right now and the incredible riots, if I read it correctly this morning or last night, 45,000 policemen have been brought to bear to try to quell the riots that are going on. When you see all those things, you think, well, isn't this just like chance? I mean, isn't it just like it's, it's happenstance? According to what you see here in Acts chapter 17, in the providence of God, we have the boundaries that we have. We, have, we exist in the time in history when he wants us to, do, to uh, exist. And why is that? Well, when you work through this, you begin to see that what he says in verse 27 is that God designed nations so that their citizens would seek after the Lord and find him. Now, there is one of the most interesting concepts in the message this morning. Consider this. God designed the nations for this purpose, that men would seek after the Lord and find him. Wow. That brings some really interesting aspects into God's providence of how he works the way he works. If he designed the nations, this whole geopolitical spectrum and all the nations that have ever existed, and he did it so that men would seek the Lord and find him, it gives you a whole different view of history. It it gives you a, a Christian worldview, if you will, of what history actually looks at, looks like. 
And then what does the Lord command us to do then? If we're going to seek the Lord and find him, what does he tell us to do? Well, in verse 30, God is the Lord who commands every man to repent of wickedness. You cannot find the Lord without repenting of sin and repenting of wickedness. And you say, why does that why does that why does it have to be that way? I mean, why is it that it, it comes about that way? And this is what we learn, especially in the Gospel of John, chapter one, that it's all the overflowing fullness of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's only because of him that repentance even works, even in the Old Testament. This is why it's very important. Even when we preach to you from the Old Testament, we are going to try to preach Christ because he is the ultimate one in the New Testament. That's why you see down in verse 31 that he's showing you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God is righteous. He has appointed Jesus Christ as the judge who will return to rule the world. God has given us the assurance that this is true. And how did he give us that assurance? How did he give us the guarantee this is true? Here's what he did. He raised Jesus Christ bodily from the grave. That's how he proved that the gospel is true. Now step back and ask, why do nations even exist? And one of the fascinating things to think about this is, it's almost like the beautiful setting for a jewel. And that jewel is the gospel. And the way the Lord has designed the nations is that they would be the right setting for the preaching of repentance and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that God will save sinners who repent of their sin. By resurrecting his son from the dead, God proved that he can save you, that he can take you to heaven, that you need not fear death. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ and the right setting for all of the nations. Now, when you stop to think about the fact that that's the reason nations even exist, it changes everything. And here's what it does for every one of us this morning who are Christians, every one of us who are believers. It raises this question. In our nation, in our present geographical setting, what are we doing to help men seek the Lord and find him. Once you begin to understand, that's the very reason that nations even exist and that the gospel is right at the center of that, then it comes down to you and me doing what we were designed to do, being the true Christians, being the salt of the light, salt and light that the Lord commanded us to do. And that's how we are acting in this world. Here's the way Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2. You remember verses 14 through 16 when he said, he, the Lord said, you're the light of the world. Paul said, let me amplify on that. We are to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Do you get the idea today that you live in a crooked and perverse nation? All you have to do is start reading the news and you realize, well, look at the corruption. I mean, look look at what's happening. It's a crooked and perverse nation. Question, how do we shine as lights in the world. How is it that we do this? 
He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So let's, for the rest of the message, ask this question. Okay, if that's the case, if nations were designed by God so that men would seek the Lord and find him, and that places the gospel right at the center of any nation's existence, then how do do true Christians make an impact on their nations? There's a fascinating story. I hope it'll be fascinating to you here in uh, this part of the manuscript about the family. Basically, there are three God-ordained institutions. They are the family and the church and the government. And we can show you this from various passages of Scripture and talked about it in a message maybe five or six months ago now. Think, first of all, about the family. In the midst of a storm at sea that lasted 11 days, the Lord did an amazing work of grace. One of the sailors on board was an exhausted 23-year-old young man who was so exhausted he could no longer work the pumps. They were trying to pump out the bilge, pump out all the seawater so they could remain afloat. He was so whipped and so fatigued that there was no way he could do that. So what they did was they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tie you to the wheel of the ship. And all we ask is that you try to remain upright and that you try to keep the ship on the course. Now imagine, this storm had lasted 11 days. Well, this young man, as he was tied to that wheel from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until midnight, he began to think about what his saintly mother had taught him. Now, his mother had died before he was seven years of age. But while he's lashed to the wheel of that ship, he begins to remember the Bible verses that his godly mother taught him when he was very young. All this occurred on March 21st of 1748. Which Bible verses came to his mind? Well, when you first think about the first verses, you realize, I don't see how that's going to help anybody seek the Lord. He remembered the verses from Proverbs, and these are what the the verses say. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. (laughs) Stop the message. I thought this message was about helping people to seek the Lord. Then why on earth is he remembering these verses? In fact, why did his mother even teach him those verses? And it was a reminder. It was a reminder to him that he was hopeless, that he was helpless, that he was a sinner, that he could not save himself, that there was absolutely nothing he could do. And in those moments, when he remembered those verses from, it had to be more than 16 years before, when he remembered those verses, he thought, well, that's it. I'm going to die in my sins. I I am going to be lost and I'm going to die in my sins, probably drowned with this ship. But then while he was standing there, he remembered another verse that his mother had taught him. And that verse is in Luke chapter 11 and verse 23, a verse that we have had reason to contemplate many times in recent services here. And here's what the verses say. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children... 
how much more shall the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Who was that man who was last to the wheel? His name was John Newton. You know him best because he wrote Amazing Grace, the hymn that we love to sing. John Newton pointed back to that experience while he was lashed to that wheel and he remembered those verses and he remembered that his mother had taught him, shall the heavenly father not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I just encourage you as parents today, many of you here have labored diligently to teach the scriptures to your children. There are many of you who are saying, I'm wondering if it had any impact. It, has, it, has it meant anything to my children? Remember this, John Newton, 16 years later, the Lord in the right circumstances, in a real crisis, brought those verses to mind. And John Newton points back to that experience and said, that's when I began to turn to Christ. Well, of course, his ministry has just meant so much to all of us across the ages. But is that an unusual story, an unusual experience? No. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, Think about the question we're trying to answer this morning. How is it that a country, or why is it that a country would even need true Christians? And the first and foremost answer would be through the family. See, in every one of our families, as new ones are born, here's a new one we talked about this morning, a new little one being born. Born into those families, mom and dad have a remarkable opportunity to share the scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Can you see how that in their family units, this is really an amazing way to think about this, this is the way that God designed it. In the larger nation, he designed family units, and those family units would reach and disciple their own children with the result that many of them come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and they are a tremendous blessing to others. Don't give up, mom and dad. Don't give up, grandmother and grandfather. Don't give up in sharing the scriptures. You never do know under what situation or what experience the Lord is going to bring about a tremendous transformation in the lives of those young people, even into adulthood. Okay, here's the question. When you think about the family today and you know that it's ordained by God, the question would be this, shall we disdain what God ordained? If God ordained this, shouldn't you and I as Christians do everything we could to really emphasize the family and, and bring every consideration we could to be of help to the family? Just this morning, or last night, I suppose it was, I happened to read about a new law that was passed in Virginia, or it's in the process of being passed. And what it does is it requires by law that there would be age verification in order for someone to access pornography on the internet. 
Well, the bill is working its way through, looks like every indication it's going to happen, and here's what happened immediately. One of those pornography sites blocked every citizen of Virginia from accessing their site. I immediately, when I read that article, I immediately sent it to one of the Ohio representatives here and said, what would it take for us to have this kind of law here in Ohio? Wouldn't that be a blessing that we would have the pornography sites removed? It all comes down to how are we going to help our families and how are we going to use the scriptures? What else has God ordained? God has ordained the church. At this present moment, God has designed a teaching tool by which he would teach the angels wisdom. Well, what, what tool would he use? What instrument would he use to teach his angels wisdom? According to what you find here in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 3, it's the church. Think about that just for a moment. You and I as the church are being used by God to teach his angels. I don't know what that does for you, but it makes me think, whoa. I mean, stop to think about what's actually going on here. If, if we are being used to instruct angels about wisdom, then how are we demonstrating that wisdom? And the point here is that if the Lord is using the church to teach angels wisdom, imagine how much more he has designed this wisdom for our fellow men. You see, that's the way the people around us are supposed to be learning about the Lord through the church. We, we say yes to the family. We emphasize the family, but we also emphasize the church. Shall we disdain what God ordained? In fact, the church is worthy of your very best efforts. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the teaching and preaching of the word is wasted on Calvary Baptist Church? Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Do you believe your very best efforts are wasted on Calvary Baptist Church? Your time, your talents, your treasures, do you believe they're wasted on Calvary Baptist Church? I don't. I believe that God has ordained a local church as the way to reach people, those who basically don't have families, those who are without families, yet they can find a family at Calvary Baptist Church. They can find that we are their brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask the question again, shall we disdain what God ordained? God designed it so that we would be salt and light in our families, salt and light in our churches. Now, what about in our government? This is always the fun part when you begin to get into this. You say, okay, I'm I'm not sure, but I think pastor is going to give a political speech here. I was talking with someone right before the service about this because it's been interesting to go back and read the history of these kind of interactions. When you begin to talk about the Christian's involvement in the government, you got to make a pretty careful distinction between the church's involvement in government and a Christian's involvement in government. If you get a church taking political positions, giving political speeches, you run into real difficulty because it starts to violate the purpose for that church. But I ask this question, what about those Christians? 
How can a Christian who is a citizen of a country, how can he be salt and light? How can she be salt and light in their city and state? I would encourage you to go back when you have a chance and read a really interesting chapter in Judges chapter 9 of all places. Judges chapter 9. Here's the story. Gideon, who was greatly used as a judge, had died, and his sons were now coming into power. One of them named Abimelech. That name means my father is king. That says something about Gideon, naming him that. Abimelech decided here's what he was going to do to maintain power. He was going to kill all his brothers, and so he did. He went out and killed every one of his brothers except for one who escaped, and his name was Jotham. What he had done is he had gathered a lot of ne'er-do-wells and, frankly, murderers, scandalous men, and they had gone out and accomplished his evil doing and killed those brothers, and now they were trying to rule with an iron hand. They were gathered at a place called Shechem. Shechem today is called Nablus. If you're reading in your New Testament in John chapter 4 about the woman of Sychar, it's basically the same place. And when you go there, here's what you find out. You find out it's a natural amphitheater, Mount Eval, Mount Gerizim. And that's the first place, for instance, when Joshua entered the land, Joshua and the children of Israel came in. They defeated Jericho, defeated Ai, and they made a beeline and went straight to Shechem to gather there because Moses had told them to do that so that they could all hear the reading of the law because it was a natural amphitheater. Well, here's Jotham. He has escaped alive. He sees what's going on. He sees that all these people are gathered there at Shechem, and he makes up his mind, I'm going to use that as my pulpit. And so he goes up to the top of the mountain and begins to speak to them. They can hear him perfectly down at the bottom, and he gives them what is commonly called Jotham's parable or Jotham's fable. And it basically went like this. The trees of the forest went to the olive tree and said, reign over us as a king. And the olive tree said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm producing some wonderful oil. I mean, I'm honoring God by what I'm doing here. I'm a blessing to God and men. And it's not really necessary for me to do that. So yeah, no, I don't think so. I won't take leadership over you. And so they said, okay, we'll go to the fig tree. And the fig tree basically said the same thing. Look, I'm honoring God. I'm doing hard work. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my very best here. I don't need to take on another role of leadership. Then they went to the vine, the grapevine. The grapevine said the same thing. Now, I raise this question with you before I tell you the rest of the story. I raise this question with you about this. If good and God-honoring people, salt-of-the-earth type people, light-of-the-world type people, if they routinely do not get involved in leadership over others... What's going to happen next? Let that one sink in just for a moment. If they say, look, I'm working hard. I'm honoring God. I'm paying my taxes. Look, I'm trying to be a good citizen. I'm trying to take care of my family. Don't ask me to take another role of leadership, especially not a role of political leadership. Don't, please don't ask me to do that. What would happen then if every one of the God-honoring people basically said no who is left? Well, in Jotham's parable, it's the bramble. It's the basically the thorn bush. And the trees of the forest go to the thorn bush. 
the one bush that had absolutely nothing good to offer. It was totally worthless. And everybody knew the bramble was worthless. And so the trees of the forest go to the bramble, and the bramble said, sure, I'll reign over you. I raise this question with you from Judges chapter 9. When you see the corruption and fraud that is going on in the organizations around us, and all you have to do is open tomorrow morning's paper, and you're probably going to see another one about the fraud and corruption, either on a local level or perhaps a school board. Sometimes it's a, it's a band group. And you, when you see the corruption that is there, ask yourself the question, hey, how did that happen? I mean, why is it that way? What's going on? And one of the first things you recognize is uh, there was not a salt of the earth, light of the world person in that position. So I'm raising the question with you this morning. When the opportunity arises, or perhaps it's an opportunity that you actually ought to seek, when you have the opportunity to be involved in civic organizations, whether it be your local school board or your township association, for that matter, it could be your condo association, or it could be the city council or county council. Yes, it could be something in state government or even federal government. When that time comes, is your automatic answer no? No, I'm honoring God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And therefore, I don't need to be involved at a different level We all understand this, that if every Christian, if every God-honoring person says that, then by default, we leave the leadership to some of the most corrupt and fraudulent people around. I'm raising the question with you this morning, isn't that exactly what has happened? But what would happen if there were a godly believer who were in the midst of that raising the right questions. I still remember one of the funniest times I ever saw this. I got, I got elected as the secretary of my bowling league. I think I was in the sixth grade, and, and they elected me as a secretary. First time I'd ever been in a bar, I could still remember the stale smell of the alcohol and cigarettes in the bar. And we're in there, we're having a meeting, and the coach says this. He says, we raised this money for one purpose, and we told everybody it was for one purpose, but we're not going to do that. We're going to use it for another purpose over here. And I was like, wait, say that again. I mean, if we raise the money for one purpose, then why are we using it for another purpose? I mean, that doesn't sound right to me. And suddenly I was no longer the secretary of the bowling league anymore. That's the kind of thing that happens if you will step up and you will say. So in all of your opportunities, whether it be on a nonprofit board here in the area or whatever it is, take the opportunity to ask, how can I be salt and light? Always, always with this notion in mind. I know why I'm here. I'm here to help people seek after the Lord and find him. That's the very reason that nations exist. That's the very reason that the the Lord has placed the gospel as the gem right at the center of the nations. It's the reason that I am a true born-again Christian, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be an ambassador in this time and in this age. In 1867, the English philosopher John Stuart Mill put it this way, bad men need nothing more to achieve their ends 
than that good men should look on and do nothing. You've heard that quote spoken in many times. All that is necessary for evil to succeed is that good men do nothing. Well, what about it? In our present situation, shall we disdain what God ordained? As we are thinking about our patriotism and about our flag, and we are desiring to honor the Lord, and we're looking forward to the fireworks. Somebody had fireworks going on last night in one of the cities, because I could hear it all the way at my house. When you think about that patriotic feeling, would you not stop to ask this question? Shall we disdain what God ordained? If God ordained the family, shouldn't we do everything in our power to help and assist the family using the word of God? If God ordained the church, shouldn't we put our very best efforts into honoring the Lord and giving our very best to help our church? And if the same thing is true about our government, the powers that be are ordained of God, Romans chapter 13 Shouldn't we do the very same thing there? When the opportunity arises to say, you know, it would be the right thing. It would be a way to restrain or even prevent fraud. I think the Lord would be very pleased by that. We're answering the question today. Why does your country need a true Christian? And the answer is because we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Have you become a true Christian? Remember in this passage, Paul puts this right at the center when he said, here's the point. The point is God the creator commands every man, every woman, everywhere to repent, to turn from wickedness and trust the Savior. And he proved that he is going to judge the world by raising Jesus Christ bodily from the dead. Wouldn't now be the right time, if you don't know the Lord, wouldn't now be the right time to seek after the Lord and according to the scriptures, you will most surely find him. Shall we bow our heads together? Whatever spiritual state you find yourself in today, would you ask the Lord to help you to seek him and to find him? You know, perhaps there's someone here this morning who would say, look, I, I, don't, I am not a Christian. I, I've realized in this morning's message, I'm really not a Christian. But I, I want to know, I, I want to know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Dear friend, this morning, every head here is bowed, every eye closed. I'm I'm the only one looking around as far as I know. I would love to have the opportunity to spend some more time with you about this. Perhaps just by the upraised hand this morning, you would just raise your hand and say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I'm just not sure about that. I'm just not really sure that I really know the Lord, but I want to know the Lord. I, I, I really do seek after him. I don't, I don't see any hands here this morning, but I want you to know this. In just a few moments, at the end of the service, I'll be out here in the foyer. If you are seeking and you are longing to know the Lord, and you would say, I'd like to have the confidence that I really am going to heaven. Dear friend, would you speak to me out there in the foyer? Would you speak to those who are around you? I believe they could guide you as well. Whatever it takes. And why is this? Because God designed the nations so that men would seek after the Lord and find him. Father, we praise you for a tremendous passage this morning that gives us so much light on what is happening all around us right now. 
Help us then, Lord, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And when called upon, Lord, I ask that you would help every one of us to take the leadership that we ought to take. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.